Hello, welcome to Helen Talks Who. I'm Helen and today I'm talking about the Pandorica Opens and the Big Bang. We are at the finale of the 11th Doctor's first series. Now, I should preface this entire episode with there is no way that I'm going to mention every single thing that I like about this episode because, about these two episodes even, because they're just so many things. So I'm focusing on, like, what I picked up on this time around and what I made notes on. But um, there, pro- there probably are things that, like... I'm, for instance, I'm not going to quote every single one of my favourite lines. Um, but let's start with some first memories. Um, now, this is... I think this is a really interesting one because it's one of the few stories where even now, 12 years later, I can still remember the date of the two episodes because it's built into the story with Amy and Rory's wedding being the 26th of June 2010. So that was the date of the final episode and then the episode 12 was the week before on the 19th. Um... So I, I think I think that's just really neat. It made it exciting at the time and yeah, it just fixed it in a time and place, which I always quite like. Um I quite vividly remember watching uh the Pandora Opens episode, um, because that weekend was actually the weekend that my family and I we were in Glasgow for the weekend. Um we went to see Paul McCartney in concert, which was amazing, but it meant, um, so the concert was on the Sunday night, and so on the Saturday night, we, you know, went to dinner, and I was the one there being, like, looking at my watch and being like, we've got to get back by, you know, whatever it was, half seven for Doctor Who, um, so we watched it in a hotel room, um, with, um, yeah, so I actually remember watching it um and then the dot two magazine in between the two episodes it it actually came out between the two episodes um and they did another one of those great um covers where they react to what's going on in the series so um they'd previously done the bad wolf one after the turn left episode um this time they did one and the cover is just black and it's got the crack on um and it's got yeah like the name of the magazine but in like black font so you can barely see it so it looks like the cover of the magazine has been swallowed by the crack which was just really clever um yeah and I did record my reaction in my diary at the time um and like I said before, like this series is when I first started recording some of my first reaction to the episode, and these two episodes I did break down, um, break them down quite a bit. Um, uh, my overall comment at the time was that I absolutely loved it, uh, especially the poetic language and some of the kind of small moments which I will talk about in this episode. Um, interestingly, one of the things I picked up from my diary record is that it took me a few watches to fully understand the plot of the Big Bang, um, which is interesting because obviously this time watching it, I was like, you know, the plot of this episode 
of this story has had over 10 years to stew in the back of my brain and I've watched it dozens of times. It's really easy to forget actually how um, complex it felt at the time and I know that was some people's complaint about it. For me, like, I wasn't recording it as like, I wasn't really sure what was going on and that negatively affected my enjoyment. I was just like, I need to watch this like half a dozen more times to, to fully understand what's happened, um, which is good. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, the two-part structure. And then I'm going to talk, go on to talk about uh, some of the different characters and, 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 yeah, and a few other bits. So, two-parter. For me, this story is the absolute pinnacle of the technique where you have a two-parter with a different focus in episodes one and two. This one is, like, the best example of that. So in this story, part one is the Doctor sort of springing the trap, or walking straight into it, um, and then part two is them fixing it, um, and making sure that, you know, they don't destroy the universe. The setting also does this, so um, part one kind of sprawls across time and space um, with, yeah, the stuff that's Stonehenge, the stuff with um, River Escaping Storm Cage and various, you know, people through history getting the message to the Doctor. Um, and then episode two is a lot more restricted. It's purely in the museum and Amy's house, which is quite cool because it sort of mirrors the kind of contraction of the universe that they keep referencing in part two. You know, they keep saying that, like, the Vortex Manipulator should be a really unhealthy way to time travel but because the universe is tiny it doesn't really matter um so i think that's a neat way to make the setting sort of mirror what's going on in the in the story and the cliffhanger this cliffhanger is definitely one of my favorites um so, firstly, the concept of the cliffhanger. So, um, there's kind of, there's just three different elements. There's the river and Amy being in peril slash on the verge of death. I mean, for Amy, it did genuinely, you know, appear like she just died. Um, and then the sort of the best part of the cliffhanger is what the whole episode has been building to with the Doctor being locked in the Pandorica by an alliance of all of his, you know, traditional enemies, which is great. And I have thoughts about this. So, um, I went hunting through Doctor Who magazine for a particular quote by Stephen Moffat. Now, <laughs> I, I have had to go on a bit of a hunt for this because I had it down in my quotes book as being issue 423. But I also had it in my head that it was production notes. So I turned to the production notes on that issue and went, this is not Stephen Moffat. This is one of the guest columnists. 
Um, so I was a little bit confused. Not helped by the fact that issue 423 is obviously the one with the crack on the front. So it doesn't have the issue number on the, uh, on the side. But it is in 423. It's just in one of the features instead. So I found it. Anyway. Um, Stephen Moffat has a really good quote in Doctor Who magazine about the nature of a good twist. So um, he says... A good twist doesn't make you think, oh, I didn't see that coming. A good twist makes you smack your forehead and say, damn it, I should have seen that coming. Um, if this twist qualifies as good, then it's because you're given a fair chance. Which I think is key. And I think this is why one of, this is one of my favourite twists and favourite cliffhangers is because... You have this, like, literal fairy tale in the Pandorica Opens about the Pandorica and about the, you know, them trying to work out what is inside the box and they've got all of these lines that have been passed down through myth and legend and once you know that it's the Doctor, you look at it and go, of course, like... That the that is the only person that these things can be describing. So the key words, the key uh, the key lines. Firstly, River saying, "I hate good wizards in fairy tales. They always turn out to be the Doctor," because yeah, that is what we expect. We are very much on the Doctor's side. We view things from his perspective. He is on the side of good. So we expect, you know, the hero in a legend to be the Doctor. Um, but of course it's not here because the legend has come from the people who already view the Doctor as their enemy. The other key lines is the Doctor saying uh, what would inspire that level of fear. Again, because we're in the Doctor's perspective we're looking at it literally from the wrong angle. Um, and the Doctor also says, anything that powerful, I'd know about it. Why don't I know? That one is particularly interesting because it has the same answer as to why the Doctor doesn't know what caused the crack, which is something that's been running through this series of the Doctor going, everyone thinks it's it's funny that I don't know what caused the crack and obviously it ends up to be his TARDIS. And it's like he had this blind spot around his own actions. Um, which, yeah, so those are like the kind of key bits that mean you should see this twist coming. It's, yeah, masterfully done. Um, and slight side note, the fact that Moffat said that quote back in 2010 is why I get a little bit irritated about some of his later twists, particularly, um, I can't think of any, like, Doctor Who examples, although if we come to some, I'm sure I'll, uh, pull it out again, um, because literally that quote has lived in my brain for 12 years, um, but certainly, like, I was so disappointed by, some of the later Sherlock episodes and it's because I was sat there yelling at the TV screen going Moffat you know how to write a good twist you literally you know you said this quote that I hold up as this like pinnacle of 
this is how you do a good twist. This is how you do a satisfying narrative device. And you do not use it in, in some of the later Sherlock ones. But anyway, this isn't a Sherlock podcast. This is a Doctor Who podcast. Um, but yeah. Uh, the execution of the cliffhanger is excellent as well. So the concept is amazing. But the execution feels epic. You have River realising that it's a trap. Um, when she's um, been to Amy's house and sort of put the pieces together. Um, and then you have the Autons activating and Amy remembering Rory. And meanwhile, the Doctor is still not getting the purpose of the Pandorica. So you get the moment when Rory shoots Amy and you get the music swelling and the slight slow motion and the Doctor being dragged into the Pandorica and having to have, you know, the Daleks and the Cybermen and the Sondarans explain to him what is going on. It's absolutely perfect. Um, and I recorded in my diary at the time um, that a 17-year-old Helen said, I really don't know how they'll continue from that cliffhanger. It just, yeah, definitely one of my favourites. So let's move on and talk about characters. The first character I want to talk about is Rory, because he's back from the dead. Um, and the first thing I want to focus on with regard to Rory is... The fact that, from our perspective, this is the first episode where River and Rory meet. Um, which, you know, with the ben benefit of hindsight, is significant. Now, Rory gets two good entrances in this story. He gets a good entrance in episode one and a good entrance in episode two. So in episode one, I mean, we get the first hint when... Um, he shows up at the um at the entrance to the tent when River's you know collecting recruits and you can just see his outline, um. But one thing I've always wondered about that moment is River's poker face when she sees Rory as a Roman, and you get it a little bit again in part two when the Doctor fetches her out the Tardis and you know they're on the roof and she sees her parents together and um and goes oh the plastic centurion and it's like river river like that is a very good poker face um but one thing i did wonder is like rory is erased um for most of this episode and i know like that amy remembers him in, in part one but I think as far as the rest of, you know, everyone else is concerned, he is still erased. So does that mean that River actually can't remember him? Like, is it River's poker face or is it, or, or is, you know, Rory genu genuinely wiped from people's minds at that moment? And I, I could go either way. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, the main thing I want to focus on is, um, some of his more significant scenes. So, I, yeah, I love a lot of the poetic language in this, um, in this episode. 
Um, and this starts with, like, Amy confronting the Doctor and being like, why do you have an engagement ring? And the Doctor um, has... It's a lovely conversation, and the line I really love is that, you know, people fall, fall out of the world sometimes, but they always leave traces. And um, he, he does the weird thing where he, like, bops the engagement ring against his forehead, and I actually love that as, like, a little moment of, like, affection. Um, it's lovely. Um... And that sort of poetic language, there is some, there is like some level of contrast with that versus like Rory's first main scene in the episode where um, Amy's gotten knocked out by the Cybermen and Rory just saved her and um, the Doctor's, you know, checking on Amy and, uh, and Rory goes, you know, it's she's okay um and you just have this scene of Rory trying to point out to the doctor that like he's back and that's weird and that might be helpful to know notice that you know the guy that was dead and erased from time is back and thinks he's a Roman um and I love that like halfway through the scene he just gives up and waits he just goes yeah the doctor's the Doctor's not going to get it. I'm just going to wait. Um, and you have the lovely exchange of like, ah, oh, I'm missing something obvious. And Rory just going, yeah, I think you probably are. And then the Doctor disappears. There's like a beat and you hear the guns clatter on the floor. And you see the Doctor come back like and pokes Rory. And that lean back. Ah, oh, I love that scene. It's. And it does have a contrast with like some of the other sort of poetic themes because it's very, it's very kind of down to earth and it's very true to how the Doctor and Rory interact. Um, they do have a different dynamic to how, you know, the Doctor acts with Amy. Um, then following on from that scene, you have Amy waking up and Rory realising that Amy doesn't remember him. And during that scene, him and the Doctor, they're trying to figure out what happened. And they're almost, you know, they're doing the sci-fi investigating mystery thing of, um, of oh, I wonder what it, what it, um, what could have, could have happened. And, you know, um, the doctor going literally like what are your symptoms like what did it what did you experience and 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 they, they go back and forth for a few lines and then the doctor just stops him and goes you know what let's let's not question it um he gives that beautiful speech that these sometimes impossible things just happen and we call them miracles which is another speech that I absolutely adore in this episode. And he basically tells Rory to go and to go and get her back, basically. Um and I mean, on the one hand, maybe the doctor should have kept thinking about what uh 
what happened because maybe he would have realized more that it was a trap uh, earlier in the episode because he really doesn't get it until he's literally being forced into the pandorica but on the other hand i love the uh like character thing in that speech of let's not worry about the sci-fi stuff let's just say that this is a lovely thing to have happened and let's just make the most of what we've been given we've been given this second chance let's make the most of it there's definitely there's a theme in that uh scene about choice as well um and that kind of comes back with rory kind of overpowering his auton programming um and it comes back in another of my absolute favourite moments from this episode, from this story, in episode two, which is at the start, the Rory's released the Doctor from the Pandorica and he's, you know, shown him that Amy's dead and the Doctor goads Rory to make sure that he's fully back and there's no Auton programming left. Um, I just love the expressions on their face I just love how Matt Smith and Arthur Darville act that scene it's 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 great um but yeah it has it has this thing of like the choices you make determining your humanity which ultimately for Rory leads into him choosing to wait for 2,000 years and guard Amy in the Pandorica, which is quite a choice. And I think it, the, it's one of those moments that really seals for me how much I love Amy and Rory's relationship. Because... Um, Because it's like, Rory's always been the person that kind of signifies the sort of normal home life, which I suppose has an appropriateness for him taking the long path, to quote, girl in the fireplace, you know, staying on earth rather than skipping ahead using the uh, vortex manipulator. But he's also choosing the the way that will lead to more adventures. You know, yes, like skipping ahead would be um, would be the way that you know hopefully gets them back home quicker. Um, but instead, he goes. He goes. Actually, there is a reason to stick my neck out and experience those 2,000 years, and I'm going to do that, which brings back a bunch of stuff from the Venice episode and, 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 and I suppose, you know, the reason he, he, he died in, 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 in cold blood, um, when, when, you know, he tried to save the Doctor, and this time he's guarding the woman he loves instead. Um, and of course the fact that he, 
um, make that choice leads into episode two with um, Amy seeing the museum display about the last centurion and realising that it's Rory and seeing the thing about the warehouse fire which obviously for the audience um you know we've just heard the doctor saying stay away from heat um and then you have his second great entrance where he's the security guard and uh shoot the dalek which is just uh absolutely fabulous um i love rory so much um, let's move on to talk about the Doctor. So, firstly, he, in the Pandora Opens, he is being cautious for the second episode in a row. I talked about it last time with the Lodger, and he is again being cautious here, because he says the whole thing about anyone can break into a prison, but I want to know what we're going to find first. Of course, here his caution is misplaced it actually probably would have helped them realize it was a trap if they'd broken straight in and found that it was empty um so yeah that's that's the first thing i wanted to note the other thing is we have the let somebody else try first speech um at the end of part one which is epic it is this grandstanding speech and it bookends the Atraxia at the start of the series. And I do have a few more notes um, that I'm, that I'm going to raise here about the fact that um, there are a lot of callbacks in this finale to um, episodes earlier on in the series. Um, but yeah, so it calls back to the Atraxi speech, but it also serves to demonstrate why the Doctor gets trapped in the Pandorica, um, which builds into as well what's going to happen next series with Demon's Run. Like, this is definitely a theme that runs... I don't know if it runs the entire way through Eleven's era. It'll be interesting to um, see whether it kind of goes forward past demons run because i can't remember um but yeah it's certainly the theme of his first couple of couple of series anyway um and interestingly i noted at the time in my diary that um that let somebody else try first speech that's possibly one of the moments that River is referring to in Silence in the Library when she says, um, I've seen whole armies turn and run away at the mention of your name. Um, I think the Demon's Run one is another one that does that, but I suppose she's not in that episode as an adult. Um, but certainly this is, is the moment where it's like the Doctor is turning into the Doctor that River knows which is exciting okay so next i'm going to talk about river and amy um because the points that i have to discuss about river and amy they all link into the resolution of the story um so yeah it kind of ties together so 
there's a few different points. Where do I want to start? Uh, okay, so firstly, um, the resolution of this story rests on the fact that Amy can remember things to such an extent that she can rewrite the universe because of the time crack. Um, and this is seeded throughout this episode. Um, particularly in part two. Um, I didn't notice any... Well, I suppose in part one, you have the whole thing of Amy remembers Rory to such an extent that he comes back. Um, it's almost like the test run for what she does at the end of the episode of bringing the Doctor back. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of key lines that really set up this resolution. Um, firstly, the Doctor says um, to Rory, the Doctor says the Nestines got more than they bargained for when they took a memory print from Amy. Um pointing out to Rory that it's his heart and soul and not just, you know, his looks. Um, so the Doctor realises that Amy's got... <sighs> There's got to be a better term than just special memory powers. Um, but yes. So you get it from the Doctor's side of the Doctor's sort of worked out some of the technical things but you also get it from Amy's side in her determination um so after they see the doctor die in part two Amy immediately goes he won't die time can be rewritten I know it can she is so determined that she's not going to lose the doctor um so yeah that's kind of set up um, and, yeah, so let's move on to talk about the scene where the Doctor has wired himself into Pandorica and he's sort of, um, saying his goodbyes, kind of. So River comes over to Amy and Rory and he, she tells her that the Doctor wants to talk to Amy. Um, and Amy's like, surely he wants to talk to you like why why doesn't he river says the the line of he doesn't really know me yet and now he never will and that line really got to me on this rewatch because she's not just talking about the doctor um she is talking about Amy and Rory as well um now there is a question mark over what River really thinks will happen versus what she's telling Amy will happen you know does River really think the doctor's going to be erased from history um because that's the element if she really thinks that then that's the element that gives that line of now the doctor never will know me that gives it that power of of 
she is talking about Amy and Rory as well because she knows that Amy and Rory haven't gone to the stage where well haven't gone to the stage where she's been born yet which you know um slight paradoxy stuff and I suppose that paradoxy stuff is like yeah does River really think this is going to happen or is she doing a poker face again and she knows it's going to end up all right but she also kind of knows that in order for it to end up all right she's got to tell Amy that there's a risk that the doctor is going to die um and she's got to behave like it's not going to be all right um and I go back and forward that certain times in the past I've had a headcanon that the doctor tells River I want to talk to Amy because I think I think I have a plan to make it so that I don't get raised from history so just trust me like but also this time I don't know I go back and forward about whether River realise it's it's gonna go be all right or whether she genuinely thinks there is a risk that the doctor will be erased um like and so is telling the truth to amy i i can't put my finger on which is the case and i i think it's not there in the text it's not there in the actual episode so i think we're free to you know um fill in that gap however we like um yeah, this time round, I came down on the side of, like, maybe she genuinely thinks that, like, time is in flux at the moment and, yes, this might not end up all right. But she also, she has to hope that he will survive. You know, she has to believe in the Doctor. There is, there is definitely a line that writers when the writing time travel stories have to tread regarding free will versus determinism when you've got time travel in the mix because even if you know something is going to happen so even if river knows that the doctor will find a way out maybe she also realises that she has to behave as though it might not go right. She has to behave as though she has free will, as though stuff is not set in stone. Otherwise, you risk, like, not doing the right actions that will end up making everything okay. Sorry, there's a bit of, like, circular logic in there. Um, there's, there's definitely an element of that that you've got to be careful with in time travel stories. And this... I mean, this episode, like, the time travel aspect of Doctor Who is, is front and centre. Um, it's, well, it's an outrageous use of time travel. I love it. <laughs> um, so then the Doctor talked to Amy. And, yeah, this time when I watched it, I think he's doing the same thing that River just did when talking to Amy. He hopes his plan will work, which he summed up earlier in the episode by pointing out that today, just dying is a result. Like, saving the universe and the only casualty being me is a result. So he has this real hope that 
he will find a way out of things but he doesn't know it for certain and I think the thing that uh settled it for me is like he doesn't know for certain that he'll be all right is the um when he starts rewinding um and he says the line of I escaped I love it when I do that um because then he's just talking to himself he he's got no one around to put a poker face on for um but even then like through his rewinding he hasn't got the plan completely in place because you can see him working it out through the rewind you know when he calls to amy when she's putting the card in the in the window for aikman road and and she can hear him um so he has a plan but he still doesn't know that it will work which i think is why he says goodbye properly to amy in the museum and then to young amelia um when he tells her the story um tells her the bedtime story he says goodbye just in case i mean the bit where he talks to young Amelia, that is part of his plan, but there's still an element of closure, I think. It's interesting, though, because I think it's really easy to be cynical about how much the Doctor knows about what is going to happen in the Big Bang, especially because he clearly does have a plan. Um, particularly in the speech to Amelia, he plants that something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue thing, um, which is part of the poetic language that I absolutely adore in this story. But he plants that knowing that she'll hear that on her wedding day. But, yeah, the thing that sells it for me is that you don't get that emotional unless you think there's a risk that your plan won't work. Um, so I think both River and the Doctor in this episode, they really hope it will work out okay. But they recognise that there's a risk that they're, they doesn't. Um, which is interesting. Um, I have one more point about Amy, and that is, um, so we have the end of the episode is Amy and Rory flying away in the TARDIS with the Doctor. Um, and one question that I think is interesting to consider is, could this have been the end of Amy's companion journey? Well, certainly you have those scenes at the wedding when they're all dancing at the reception and you have the lovely scene of, um, like, the doctor watching amy and rory slow dance and sort of like taking stock of it and there is almost a moment where you could pull back on the scene and exit the episode and and have amy and rory stay on earth um and i think that would have still felt like a complete story um but I don't know it is more satisfying that her and Rory continue with the Doctor for me and there's a couple of elements firstly the fact that they're my favourite TARDIS team and 
you know, I, I'm watching this knowing what is to come. And I know that we get some great episodes with the three of them properly in the TARDIS together. But also, if we consider her and Rory's arc throughout the series, um, you know, it's been about them kind of weaving together the Doctor and their life together. So having them cut the Doctor out of their life, yeah, wouldn't have been quite as satisfying in the long term. Um, Particularly because, you know, Rory's had the whole thing in, in this very story of guarding Amy for 2,000 years and, and actually, you know, having some adventures of his own. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely more satisfying that they continue. Um, let's talk about this series as a whole really feels like one story and part of that I think is the fact that the episodes absolutely have to be in the order that they are um which like yeah that you can't move the episodes around um because they kind of flow on to the next one while still you know having a few gaps to have some unseen stories and stories in books and comic strips and all of that. Um, But one of the other reasons that this series feels like one complete story is because we get a ton of callbacks in this story to the rest of the series. So um, I've already mentioned the let somebody else try first speech calling back to the Atraxi speech. That's number one. Um, Few other moments. So the opening scenes of both episodes um, really add to this. So in the opening scene of part one, we have all of the different characters from throughout the series delivering the painting to the Doctor. So it goes from Vincent to Churchill to River to uh, Liz Ten and then into the stuff that's specific to this story. And then part two, we have basically the same opening as episode one. And I love that. Um, Because both of those are scenes we haven't seen before. Because in part two, it's um, the kind of parallel starless universe. Um, Because obviously we also have the stuff when the Doctor's rewinding and he ends up going into flesh and stone and we end up um seeing a different aspect of that night when Amy waited in her garden um which are also good but yes these ones like yeah it just really makes this series feel like everything feeds back into the finale which I don't think we've had before um and there's a few other little moments. So, in part one, you have the Doctor's face when he sees the Hello Sweetie on the cliff. He goes from being really grumpy to having this small smile. And that is like the Time of Angels flesh and stone character journey in a nutshell. 
for the Doctor, going from being grumpy about River to, oh, actually, yeah, I do want to spend more time with this woman. Love it. We also have, this is the second time this series that the Daleks have been involved in setting up an, a Doctor Who episode premise in order to lure the Doctor to them. The first being Victory of the Daleks. Technically, they are successful both times. Um, you know, the the Daleks are successful in this episode. It's just that they didn't realise that it wasn't the Doctor making the TARDIS explode. If it had have been the Doctor making the TARDIS explode, the Alliance would have been perfectly successful and the Doctor would probably still be in the Pandorica. But because the Alliance got it wrong, um, that, that, you know, what allowed everything to be okay. Um, then the final callback that I noticed was um, the exchange between Rory and the Doctor um, when, when Rory's there as the security guard and um, the Doctor says, um, 2,000 years, how did you do? Rory goes, stayed out of trouble. How? Unsuccessfully. For me, that's a nice callback to the beast below. Um, and the Doctor's mission statement of let's stay out of trouble badly. Um, so yeah, some of them are more significant and probably more on purpose. And some of them uh, might just be incidental. But all of those callbacks really make it feel like one, one story. Um, which I think is why I really love this series. But even though it's one complete story, we have a bunch of unanswered questions that propel us on to the next series and the rest of Rory and Amy's time in the TARDIS. So the the main unanswered questions are the silence, uh, what made the TARDIS explode, and we get the massive hint from River that we'll find out who she is soon. Now, I think the... River saying, you are going to find out who I am soon. That was the most exciting one at the time because, I mean, that was the thing we'd been wondering about for literally two years. Um, so knowing that we were going to find out next year was super exciting. Now, I did note a few of the unanswered questions in my diary at the time and I put some predictions about when, uh, when they would be answered. So I thought that River Song, The Silence and Who Made the TARDIS Explode would be answered next series. But I did actually say perhaps the series after for River. Um, so the River one actually happened sooner than I expected, given that it happens halfway through next series. Um, I also thought that the duck pond not having any ducks was significant. Um, yeah, no, uh, definitely not significant and um and i thought amy the fact that amy couldn't remember the 2009 dalek attack i thought that was an unanswered question but i realized a few months on uh yeah august of that year i realized that like it had been explained because history is wibbled that's literally what i put in my diary i assume that is actually a quote from dr who magazine or something um it's in quotation marks, so must be a quote. Um, and I think the key thing is that the Doctor acknowledges that there are unanswered questions, 
because if the Doctor hadn't acknowledged in that final scene that, oh yeah, I still have a bunch of questions about what happened, I would have thought that there were a bunch of plot holes, but because the Doctor goes, I know there are a bunch of unanswered questions, we know we will find out eventually, which is good because um, otherwise I think I would have found them annoying. Um, but no. So that, I think, covers everything I want to speak about. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, the email address for this podcast is helentalkswho at gmail.com. Please get in touch if you have any commentary. I would love to hear from you. Next time, I'll be watching A Christmas Carol. And I was about to make a joke saying that it's not quite Christmas yet, because I'm recording this at sort of the end of November. But um, by the time I post this, it might be Christmas, because I have about two, three weeks of a buffer episode. So maybe Merry Christmas. See ya.